0: And then what do we have left, you know? But after reading this book years ago, and then just kind of, you know, uh, revisiting that a few months ago when we went through the book of James, I started to really consider what does it look like to, to eat organically? You know, I think all of us, to some degree, we try to buy some organic foods, maybe fruits and vegetables, and they tend to be a little more expensive. And of course, now there's studies that say, oh, they're really not even as good as they thought they were, you know, who knows, right? So... I think maybe sometimes we have to just stop reading all those studies, right? (laughs) But it makes sense that we want to eat and live more organically, like more in touch with with nature. You know, and one of the things that's certainly true, no matter like to what degree you eat uh, and live a healthy lifestyle, it is certainly true that over the generations, the food that we eat has become contaminated with toxins, become adulterated. With uh, the things that we pollute our environment with. And we know that to be true. And that's sort of what, you know, precipitated this whole push to eat organically many years ago. And so we know that, um, there's many chemicals and additives and preservatives. We see that all over labels these days. But, you know, I got to thinking, man, how does that really relate to my spiritual life? And in many ways, there's a direct correlation, right? Just like we know that many of the things that we eat, are contaminated and not healthy for us, and have so many additives and preservatives, and can be toxic to our bodies, the same can be true spiritually. And I started asking myself, how has my faith in God been complicated? How has my faith in God become anything more than just simple? How has it become polluted and become toxic how have I let the world, how have I allowed the world to add preservatives and chemicals and additives to my relationship with God? It seems too easy these days to, to sort of lose the essence of that simple faith as we, as we allow things of this world to fill our minds and hearts as we take in even things we might consider as spiritual food that really lack any nutritional value. Do you sometimes feel like a haze over your life? Do you ever kind of feel like maybe there's just a cloud? I know like this morning it's easy to look out the window and, and feel that, but sometimes we just feel that haze or like there's a, kind of like a smog in a city right we When we were listening to um uh, the uh, Sky and Michelle, uh, our missionaries in Asia share about um, the place that they live in Asia and how there are these beautiful, majestic mountains right next to this city where they live. But they say there's maybe over the 10 to fifteen years that they've been serving in this city in Asia, there's been maybe a handful of days that they've been able to see those mountains. You believe that? Because it's always covered in like a smog or clouds descending from the mountain, mixing with the smog from the city. So they know that they live next to these gorgeous, majestic mountains. But over almost 15 years, they've seen them maybe five times or less. Can you imagine that? Sometimes that's what our life feels like, Right? We know that there's beauty out there. We know that there's ways to connect with God, our Maker. But yet we kind of have this fog hovering over us. Many years ago, I went to, uh, I, I got to visit San Diego, California. Anybody ever been to San Diego? It's beautiful. Considered like some of the best weather in the country. I had a friend of mine who said that his dream job was to be a weatherman in San Diego. Because you just get up in front of the TV and say, it's going to be sunny and warm today. See you tomorrow, you know. Because the weather never changes, it seems like. It's just perfect weather. So I got to go out there for a youth pastor's conference. And it's really interesting, because right behind the conference center was a mall. And uh, being from New Jersey, I know all about malls, right? And so I went, uh, you know, some free time. What am I going to do in my free time? Well, I'll go visit a mall. I don't know why I did that. But anyway, so I walked out, you know, behind the conference center and uh, went to visit the mall. And as I approached, I noticed something very interesting about this mall in San Diego. There was no roof. And it wasn't a strip mall. It was a mall, just like the malls we have around here. And uh, there was an escalator. There was two floors. It looked just like the malls that we know, but there was no roof. And I was like, man, how could they... All this stuff outside, what happens when it rains? So I went up the escalator. I'm looking. This is really something. so... I got in line for some food and I asked the lady in front of me, I I said, you know, I'm visiting in town, I'm here for the conference. I was just wondering, like, how can you have a mall with no roof? What happens when it rains? And then she laughed and she said, it doesn't rain in San Diego. And it's true, like they have very little rain, but a real different way of life. But, you know, what's interesting is there was, there was at that time, there was a large forest fire, a large wildfire nearby maybe 20, 30 miles away. And so the area that I was in 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 San Diego in the conference was really covered for the whole four days I was there in just a smoky haze. I didn't get to really enjoy the beauty of San Diego and the beautiful beach and the waves and the sunset and all that because there was just this haze of smoke from the wildfires. And sometimes our lives feel like that. You know, there's a clear blue sky out there somewhere. But what is it that we're allowing spiritually, a spiritual food, what is it that we're allowing into our lives that kind of create that smoky haze? If you have ever fasted, many of you have fasted, maybe just for a day or for a meal, you kind of get this sense of clarity in thinking, don't you? If you've ever fasted, you know what I'm talking about. That you kind of feel a little less foggy. You know what that is? That's all the toxins like slowly leaving your body. If you go on a diet or you start to fast, right? Sometimes you go through like one of those cleansing things that are really popular now and and you're trying to get all these toxins out of your body. You start to think a little clearer and you feel a little lighter. Well, it's the same kind of thing, you know, spiritually. That as we take time to meet with God, And fill our minds and our hearts with those things that spiritually are organic and are grown in fertile, spiritually healthy soil. Those are the things that are going to help us to grow. You know, as I was reading about um, living organically and eating organic foods, you know, of course, what does it mean? Organic foods are grown in pure, like natural, fresh, clean soil that still have all those nutrients in it not polluted by any kind of pesticides. And it allows those roots to sink deep into that soil and build an essential foundation for growing healthy and strong. So the question is this morning, like what, come, what do we allow, allow to come between us and God that is sort of toxic to our spiritual relationship with Him? You know, as organically grown food is pure and real and authentic, our faith also needs to be the same, pure and real and authentic. Uh, Organic also, of course, means that it's a, a living source of nourishment, right? We say that, you know, if it's organic, it means it's alive. It has this idea of being alive and living. And so our relationship with the Lord is also a living one. We call the Word the living Word, right? Because we ingest it and we read it. We let it sink deep into our minds and our hearts so that we can grow. We can grow strong and healthy in Him. So, of course, we know the world that we live in is so complex and complicated, it's certainly easy to allow our faith to become polluted. So have we let the complications of life sort of bleed into our walk with Christ? So the question then is, what does it look like to live a simple, organic faith? What does it look like to live out a faith that is simple but also alive? What does a holy, unpolluted, authentic life of a follower of Jesus Christ look like? What's the essential foundation for an organic, living faith? A faith that is unfiltered and unprocessed. By the world that we live in. Well, in order to find out, where do we need to go? We need to go to the teacher. We need to go to the master. And find out what Jesus has to say about living our lives in the kingdom of God. So that's where we pick up. And we are in the book of Matthew. We are in chapter 4, starting in verse 23. And then we go into uh, chapter 5, all the way up to verse 12. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, right? So chapters 5, 6, and 7 is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 is what we call this great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus was on the mountainside teaching. And at the beginning of it, we have these things called the Beatitudes. They start with blessed, right? We're going to read them. So here is Jesus. I'll kind of set the scene for you, and then we'll read it together. He's speaking to the Jews, and he's directly contrasting the lifestyle that was being espoused during that day by the Pharisees and the scribes. They were the Jewish religious leaders, and they were talking about a lifestyle of what they thought was true righteousness expected before the Father, right? So Jesus comes along and he starts preaching this thing called the kingdom of God. And he's preaching all about the kingdom. If you you read the Gospels, you'll see it says over and over again that Jesus came to preach the kingdom. He came to preach the kingdom. Because the kingdom that he was bringing into existence was a kingdom like no other. It was in direct contrast... To the kingdom of God that the Jewish religious leaders were leading their people into. And you've noticed from the the writings of of the, the, the gospel writers. And looking at the teachings of Jesus. How often did he confront the religious leaders of the day? And why was that? Oftentimes, it would say that he was indignant with them. Why? Because they were leading his children astray. And so Jesus came. Bringing a different kind of kingdom. A new standard of righteous living that had never been taught or heard before. See, the existing way that the Jewish uh, religious leaders were teaching was characterized by outward expressions of righteousness. They were marked by arrogance and pride. They were concerned with the external qualities. Jesus comes and says, it's about the heart. It's about love so jesus sits on the mountainside and he teaches that was what was customary for a rabbi to do and when he sits down the disciples come alongside of him now you'll see you'll see in here as we're going to read it in just a moment that his teaching here in the sermon on the mount and this is important we understand this that it is not a teaching for a way of salvation he is teaching those who have put their faith and trust in him saying If you are now a follower of mine, Jesus is saying, a true believer, this is how you ought to live. This is how to live a simple life in Christ, how to live out a simple faith. So it doesn't provide a means of salvation, but it shows those who have already been saved how to live and act and think. It lays out the inner qualities and characteristics of a Christian. So here's what it says. In Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 23. It's important to start there, because again, it sets the scene for what Jesus is about to teach. Keeping everything in context. Starting in verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. There it is. And healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and even from beyond the Jordan. So seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you what a beautiful passage of scripture from jesus teaching the very beginning of this great sermon that goes from matthew 5 6 and 7 we call it the beatitudes simply it's about blessing it's about how to be content and happy in the lord So if we're looking at how to live an organic faith, how to live a life that is in Christ unadulterated, unpolluted, not having those preservatives and chemicals and toxins that we allow into our lives, spiritually speaking, this is how we do it. So let's just look at what Jesus says about keeping life simple. We all need that, right? We all need to be reminded of how to take the complexities of life, lay them aside, and just remember what Jesus said. When in doubt, just go back to the words of the Master. Listen to Him teach. So these are the words that He said when He sat down on the mountainside. And said when He sat down, all the disciples came around Him. So we pick up on that conversation and this is what He said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to go through each one of these just briefly. Perhaps you've studied them on your own and read through them many times. Just keep in mind, in the context of living a simple, a simple faith, what these, what these look like in your life today. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What this means is Jesus is saying, don't be materially bankrupt. You need to be humble in spirit. Humility is the key to inheriting the kingdom of heaven. That's what it means being poor in spirit. It means complete dependence upon God, laying your pride aside and being completely humble before Him. Remember the story in Luke about the Pharisee and the tax collector? It said this in Luke 18, it said, "...to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Listen to this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, saying, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. We begin to live the kingdom life as Jesus intended. When we have a humble attitude before God. Recognizing God as the authority and Him alone is worthy. Depending on God and not ourselves. That means poor in spirit. We cannot please God in our own power. Romans 3 says that. Paul quotes from Psalm 14. He says, There is none righteous, not even one. What does the gospel teach us? That we cannot please God in any of our works. Nothing that we can muster up and do of our own strength apart from God will please Him. We cannot earn our own salvation. It is all because of Christ's work. So therefore, Jesus is saying, You want to live a simple life? Be humble. Be poor in spirit, he says. Be poor in spirit. Remember that He's God and you're not. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That word mourn in the Greek, it's a really rich but deep word. It means to lament or have a deep sorrow or heartache. But it really means to have deep sorrow over sin. It means to have a contrite heart. It means to be sorry for your sin. When's the last time you think to yourself, how am I going to lead this simple life? When's the last time that you were truly contrite before God? That you just laid your heart before Him and surrendered and confessed your sins to God? Just in the quietness of of your own heart and own mind, have you done that lately? Have you ever had a heartache or a deep sorrow because you are sinful? Romans 7.24, what does Paul say? He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? That's the Apostle Paul. He says, what a wretched man I am. We are to acknowledge our sinfulness, even to be overwhelmed by it. Now, of course, Christ doesn't want us to remain in a perpetual state of sorrow we know that His death on the cross paid for that once in all, but we still need to acknowledge it and be mindful of the fact. I mentioned this, I think, last week. Too often we hear in churches today somebody say that they're going to preach the gospel, but they only preach half of it. Do you remember what we learned about in Galatians when Paul is saying, you, you are being taught a false gospel? Well, it is a false gospel if it does not mention why we are in need of a Savior, and that is because of sin. So if you hear somebody say they're preaching the gospel, and they just say, accept Jesus and you'll be saved, that's like the second half of it. Well, why do we need to accept Jesus? Because before God, we are lost. We are disconnected from our Maker because of sin and disobedience. That is why we need a Savior. We need to recognize our position before God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know our needs, and we can present them to the only one who can help. We sang it before. Who alone can save themselves? Who alone can heal themselves of sin? No one. It's only because of what Jesus has done. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek. Some verses, some versions say gentle. Blessed are the meek or the gentle for what? They shall inherit the earth. You know that Jesus calls Himself gentle? Matthew 11. Verse 29. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for my souls. I'm going to read that again. What a great verse for this morning. That we will find rest for our souls. Remember what I read earlier as our call to worship? About having that far look. Remembering to to put away all the complexities of life. And to have that far look to Jesus. To set our minds on things above Scripture says. right? Because it's that far look that will give rest to your soul. It's the far look to Jesus. He says in Matthew 11 again, Jesus, just listen to these words, Jesus invites us all and says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble of heart and you will find rest for your souls. It's not being insecure or weak, but I would say that if we are meek or gentle in our faith and trust in God, it means a controlled inner strength. See, Jesus didn't come to conquer the earth or to gain land or territory, right? That wasn't the kingdom He was building. He gets to fight our battles for us spiritually. We gain the inheritance. How about that? We need to keep God in His rightful place in our lives. So being humble and being meek before Him. Having control and strength, but in an inner quality. Not being insecure or weak. Trusting in Him. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do you have a passion to know Jesus intimately? Do you seek after things like holiness and truth and goodness and righteousness and prayer and patience? Remember just recently we talked about the fruit of the Spirit? That if we're, if we're living according to the leading of the Holy Spirit within us. That we will then give evidence of that fruit within us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. What am I missing? Faithfulness and self-control. Thank you, brother. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think it means taking God seriously. We have physical appetites. Right, We have physical appetites. The other night, um, we made homemade donuts. Man, they were good. Not organic or nutritional in any way whatsoever. But man, they were good. They were good. Got all that dough and the oil and the sugar. Man, what could be better than that? Tastes so good, but not good for us. We have, a, we have a physical appetite. We crave things, right? And oftentimes, you eat a lot of junk food, you start to crave that good organic stuff. Maybe a little bit more vegetables and fruits, right? That's, those are the things that give us the real fuel. So we have physical appetites. And we always return. Like those appetites keep coming back, right? Maybe some of you had breakfast this morning. And then you'll leave here and you'll say, what's for lunch? And then probably while you're eating lunch, you'll be talking to somebody saying, what, what's our plan for dinner? We do that, right? It's kind of we go from one meal to the next. Well, we know that our appetite's going to return, but spiritually that should be happening too. We read the Word of God and we pray. But that, does that last all week? When you come here on a Sunday morning and spend an hour and a half or so worshiping, fellowshipping, and, and you're hearing the Word of God... Does that last you all week? No, right? What do we say? Yesterday's manna, right? And so the idea is that every day, throughout the day, we need to continue to commune with God and meet with Him to satisfy and satiate our spiritual appetite. Because we have them just like we have a physical appetite. Verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You probably saw the sign out front is what it says. We need to have a concern for people's needs. And not only have a concern, but do something about it. Right? What are we taught elsewhere in Scripture? That you come along, you see somebody in need. What good is it if you say, bless you, my son. I hope that you get something to eat. or I hope you feel better. I hope your situation changes. I'll pray for you and then you move along. Well, it's good to pray, but how about we do something for them? So blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Don't we all want mercy? How oftentimes do we cry out when things are getting so complicated and heavy, and we just cry out, God, mercy. Have mercy. I used to do that when I would wrestle with my brother. My brother's a lot bigger than me and older, and when we were kids we would wrestle. And then he would uh, just pin me to the ground and like, I guess I'm dating myself, but he would just say, say uncle. You going not do that, right? And I just wouldn't do it, I wouldn't do it. Finally, I, you know, from my own well-being, right? If I want to breathe again, uncle, uncle. The idea is that I was calling out for mercy. We do that often. People all around us are crying out for mercy. We just scheduled our next uh, missions trip with the New York City Relief, with the relief bus in February. You're going to hear a lot more about that. A great opportunity to take a week aside. Maybe you have to take vacation or personal days from work to just take a, um, an intentional time to go and to serve and to give people help and hope that are truly desperate for it on the streets of New York City. Now, we don't have to wait till February. We have a great relationship with that ministry, and you see it's, uh, it's on the back of your bulletin every week to pray for them and find out ways to get involved. Oftentimes, they'll, they'll send us an email and say, we need help on a particular day, and we'll send an email out to the church, and some of you have been able to respond to that. And you go out on the street to help. It's about having mercy. right? People that are in desperate need. For blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's having a concern and understanding. James 2. We went through James recently. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed but does nothing about his physical needs, then what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. If you show mercy, you will receive mercy. We need to simply, for keeping it simple today, let's demonstrate the mercy to others that God has shown us. Is that simple enough? Let's demonstrate the mercy that God has shown us By showing it to other people. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Simple faith is with a pure heart. It's authentic, sincere, transparent. It's about integrity. You know how we, we often define integrity? It's about being the same person when you're alone in private. That you are when you're in public with other people. Just let that sink in for a minute. Just let that sink in for a second. If that's how we're going to define integrity, are you seeking to always be the same person that you are in private? That you are when you're around others? Are we the same person when no one is looking? Maybe it's a good reminder that God is always looking. Should it make us fearful? Maybe sometimes. But it's a reminder that we can't hide from God. I think we we all are really good in our sinful nature at lying to ourselves and to others. And like being sometimes, being somebody that we're not in front of others. We can all put on a good show. I know we can do it. We have it within us. But what does God want? He wants us to be real and true with Him and with each other, starting here in the church. That we would be willing to be vulnerable before Him. And to be true and authentic people of integrity before each other. We want to be that as Christ's ambassadors to the world, right? There's been way too much that has happened in the church, capital C. Especially in our country that we have to overcome. And we start by living out these beatitudes. Being people of integrity. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers... For they shall be called sons of God. Here's what that means. It means that we are to be ones that can calm the waters. Do you ever find yourself in a situation at home maybe, or at work where there's two people fighting and arguing, and you kind of find yourself in the middle of it? Right? If you're Perhaps you're a middle child. You find that a lot. You get siblings on either side of you fighting. Or maybe like at work, there's people that are always arguing somehow. You always kind of be, you're like your desk is right there, right in the middle of it. And they're arguing like right above your head. You're like, hello, I'm here. But you know what? God can use you to be a peacemaker. He can use you to be one that calms the waters. To We should be people that are looking to find solutions, avoiding confrontations when at all possible. It's been said, it's a good quote, peacemakers generate more light than heat. Peacemakers generate more light than heat. We are called to do all that we can to maintain harmony and unity. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Simply means that you'll be Christ-like. The world will notice and recognize you as being like Christ and following after Him. Not just in name only, but by your actions if you live and act as a peacemaker, for Jesus Christ is called the Prince of Peace. Verses 10 through 12, I'm just going to read those together as we, um, as we come to our conclusion this morning. It says this in verses 10 to 12 Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you notice he kind of ends that? <clears throat> it's the way he started. The poor in spirit also gain the kingdom of heaven. He said, if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, you also gain the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you uh, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account because we're following Christ. He says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who went before you. If you just read in the Old Testament about the prophets, major and minor, you see how God's people treated them. Jesus is saying, if you're following hard after God, listening to his word, putting that into action, having a simple faith, then people will recognize it. You will be persecuted because of it. So we are, finally, we are to stand out. We are to be different from the world. So there's a question to ask yourselves. Are you any different? Is the way that you live your life, does it look any different from the way the world acts and thinks? Jesus is saying that you will be persecuted for pursuing to live a simple faith and to take these beatitudes as your identity. He says, you may not get your reward here on this side of heaven, but he says your reward is great in heaven. That's a great reminder too. When we pray or we do the things that God is calling us to do, don't we kind of somewhere start looking for our reward? God, how are you going to bless me with this? How am I going to be rewarded in this? We need to check our motivation. For he says that God exalts the humble. We know the world around us exalts the proud. God calls those that are servants the ones that are great. So are we keeping our faith simple in a complex world so we can stay focused and others can, see, can clearly see Christ in us? And I end with this. I hope that it is encouraging to you to read through these Beatitudes. My, um, my challenge to you is this. Every day, in addition to your normal devotions... Read through verses 1 through 12 of Matthew 5. Read through the Beatitudes every day. Just do it this week before next Sunday. Only take you a couple of minutes. Read through them slowly. And just remember that God is calling us to a faith that is simple. It's a gospel that is simple. The gospel that clearly tells us that if we have accepted Jesus as the Messiah, and the one true Savior who alone can forgive us of our sins that separate us from God, then we will be saved, and Christ then lives in us permanently in the person of the Holy Spirit. So I ask you today, if you are here with us, and you don't consider yourself a believer in Christ, perhaps everything that we've been talking about this morning is a new concept to you. Just as Jesus came to preach a new kingdom, A kingdom marked by all these beatitudes. A kingdom marked by humility and love. Perhaps that's a new concept to you as well. Well, the gospel, the good news, is what the gospel means. The good news of Jesus Christ means simply this. You have been offered a free gift of what we call salvation. Being saved. Being saved from what? Being saved from an eternity of, Separated from God. See, we believe what Scripture teaches is that we are all eternal beings. Every one of us will live in eternity. And that's good news if you accept what Christ teaches. Because we will all live for eternity. The question is, where will it be? Will it be in the presence of God your Creator or separated from Him? as the Bible describes, in torment for all of eternity. We don't like to think of it that way, but that's the gospel. So the gospel tells us that God, in His great majesty and infinite wisdom, sent Jesus to be the final, once for all, the only way to be reconnected with God. See, when He came to live, He came with a purpose, and that was to go to the cross and to take our sins with Him. And upon that cross, he took all the guilt and shame that we deserve to bear. And he took it upon himself, a burden we can't even fathom. And when he died, he said that he would rise again. Because in his resurrection, the great cornerstone of our faith, the most amazing and monumental thing in the history of this world, Jesus came back to life. We believe He actually did that. He did that to defeat death. To fulfill prophecy. And He did it that we might have life. And life eternal with Him. And so the simple gospel about a simple faith is this. That without accepting Christ as the free gift of salvation. That you do not have a hope in this world or the world to come. Of living eternally with God. See, we, we were created to have communion and fellowship with God. Read about it in Scripture, in Genesis, the Garden of Eden. But sin came along in disobedience and separated us from Him. And now the only thing that connects us is the blood of Christ. And so that is the message for this morning. For those of us who already say that we are followers of Christ, that we can say, how is it that we can live out a simple faith that Christ tossed so, uh, 2,000 years ago. How can we do it in a world like we live in today? Read the Beatitudes. Read Matthew 5, verses 1 to 12. That's a great start. Because Jesus sat down on the mountainside. And he taught the disciples. And he said, you will be blessed if you live in this way. So let's remember that. Living a simple life in a complex world. We want to try to eat a little healthier, right? Let's do that spiritually as well. Let's pray. Father, we always want to give you the thanks and the praise for um, all those many blessings in our lives. You start each of these sayings, each of these little teachings with the word bless. We thank you that we can be blessed if we're humble, if we seek after righteousness. If we recognize our sin, if we are merciful towards others, if you have been merciful towards us. If we seek after righteousness and holiness. And even as we stay strong in you, if we're persecuted for trying to be like you in this world. So Father God, would you remind us in many different ways throughout this week, as we read each and every day through these Beatitudes, the beginning of your awesome sermon, Father, help us to be able to live it out each and every day. We thank You that Your promise is that we will be blessed if we do so. But God, would You give us the strength and the courage. And You say, if we lack wisdom, that we should ask for it. Because You love to give it abundantly. So Father God, I'm asking now, and together we're asking as Your church, would You give us that wisdom that we need to seek after You with all our hearts? with a pure and simple faith. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.